I did that on my own. And then to go into college and play 17 years and then Freshly. go into that situation, yeah, and then they tell me, well, you don't have enough experience. So once you just be like a adobo or a, a runner or something, you make sure the kids go to class. What? What do you mean I don't have experience? Hold on, wait, wait. I, I want to get more into this because this, this is... We never start like this, and I'm already hot. Like, right, this is perfect. Right, this is perfect. You gotta handle the rock with flair and rhythm if you want to be judged on wood grain and concrete courts in New York. This ain't no nickel and dime. It's dribbling dimes where scoring never looked this good. I guarantee it. But was your reputation built from the playground up? Or did you call next and they took that ish? Or cause you weren't as fast as police and ambulance sirens? Or as loud as Mr. Softy Ice Cream? No. You see, this is New York City hoops in prime time. As beautiful as the skyline, it's dribbling dimes. Yo, what up? This is Manny Digital. You might have heard the voice just a second ago, but I'm going to probably introduce this man. But he was born and raised in Atlantic City, New Jersey. He's a graduate of Atlantic City High School. He took his talent six hours north to the University of Massachusetts from uh, his humble beginnings in Atlantic City, where he'd cement his legacy as one of the most recognizable student athletes to ever play at the university's basketball program. Uh, he is currently the owner and operator of hoop nerds basketball life skills academy this man was a second round nba draft pick by the detroit pistons am i right yep um played many years uh professionally both in the league and overseas i think spain was a significant part of that yeah, i played 11 years there Woo! espanol yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, do you have dual citizenship uh, not dual citizenship, okay. but I'm bilingual. So, uh, well, that's uh, dual something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, with us today is none other than Luis Markel Rowe, uh, otherwise known in the world as Lou Rowe. Oh, thank you, man. Welcome, man. It. Thank you, thank you. Um, Glad to be here. Man, so I was gonna I was gonna set up a whole line of questioning in Spanish for you, but I was like, uh, <laughs> let's just free flow it and see how yeah. it go. Yeah. Um, so we were just talking about kind of the challenges um, that you face, right? Um, something that comes up a lot on this on this show is that transition from being an, a, a basketball player at a mm -hmm. high level, mm -hmm. especially like in your case, you played so many years professionally. Basketball was pretty much everything you knew from inception. Um, and then when, the, when I'll call it real life comes into play and now you're done playing basketball, your transition into quote-unquote the real world mm -hmm. can be really difficult yes takes yes. a toll mentally yeah. physically i mean it affects you in so many different ways you were just outlining kind of an example uh, kind of more recent example of your experience can, can can we continue with that Yeah, absolutely so you were saying uh, well um you know i was just finishing up my my last season in uh, argentina and um Che, you know, yeah, Argentina, man. che, yeah, yeah. They sing like Italians. Yeah, they, they do. The, yeah, the they do. <laughs> singing thing with the with the language. Yeah. I like them, man. I like Argentinas, man. I'm a, they're a little bit racist, but you know, uh, <laughs> they, they grow up like we used to it. Minority guys, you know, they're tough. You know, you know, people were there. And they, you know, they live a tough lifestyle. Yeah. So, but anyway, um, you know, I was making that transition coming back to UMass, 
And, uh, you know, uh, the college level, you know, a lot of the guys, you know, it's like a hierarchy thing. You know, you have to start entry level, yeah. you know, work your uh, way and work your way up, you know. Um, and then, you know, you may be revered as, you know, one of the, the elite coaches out there. But there's a lot of work and preparation that's put into that. You know what I mean? Um, you know, and I just think it, athletes who, who played on the high level and then once they, they come back and they try to try to get into coaching, it's difficult because mm -hmm. then you have a lot of guys who didn't make professional, who played this long, lengthy career, who, who's put in their time, um, and they, they work their way up in the ranks. And then you have this athlete coming back who thinks he's just going to come in and get a coaching job, mm -hmm. you know? And, um, you know, I see both sides. Yep. And I understand um, the person who worked hard, you know, all those years to get where they are. I understand that. Um, but I also understand from my perspective of being a player, you know, and the knowledge that I've learned um, throughout those years. You know, I played until I was pretty much 39 years old. Wow. You know, on a high level. The only reason why I quit is because I was just tired of taking 28, 34-hour bus rides in Argentina because yeah. places in Argentina are so remote. Uh, you can't get there um, <clears throat> through an airport. They don't have airports everywhere. Right. So some places we would just fly an hour and a half and then get on the bus for six hours, you know? <laughs> so I was like, you know, where have I come in, in my my career where um where I have to do this. So and you and you were super spoiled, yeah, right? Exactly. Like I mean if you take your collegiate experience, I mean mm -hmm. with Coach Calipari, mm -hmm. call it, you know, lap of luxury ish. Like yeah. you, you guys weren't busting around like now, let me tell you something, Manny. It yeah. wasn't like that at first, man. Okay. Because when I went to UMass, they were mm, they was almost the beating tempo. Yeah. They was almost doing this. They was almost doing that. But they didn't do it, mm -hmm. you know. And, and you know, uh, historically, UMass have not won anything. They right. never won anything. And um, so when I got there, the only pitch they can pitch to me was the promise of a new uh, arena facility. Yeah, which is the Muddle Center. No more cage. See. Exactly, it's the Muddle Center, which you see today. So you know that was a that was a hard pitch because you didn't see the Muddle Center, and a lot of kids they come to campus. And they want to see the facilities. They want to see how nice the campus is. They want to see all the luxuries and amenities they have access to. And, um, you know, they didn't have that at UMass, you know. So we kind of, the group that we had, Harper Williams and all those guys, Jimmy McCoy, Will Herndon, those guys kind of paved the way and set it up for a guy like me and Marcus mm -hmm. Camry to come in and say, okay, all right, guys, we got it from here. How did, you know? and, and I, we're going to jump around a bunch, and that's perfectly fine. Yeah. How does a kid from Atlantic City, New Jersey, say, you know what, UMass, especially given what you just described, right. UMass is the place for me? All right, check it out. All right, all my youth, um, when I even start thinking about basketball, um, I was thinking about Syracuse, mm. with Sherman Douglas, and Derek Coleman, Derek Coleman yeah. and those guys. You know, uh, I was thinking about Florida State and North Carolina, all these big schools where I had access who were recruiting me. So... And the funny thing is, me and Travis Best, we played on the same AAU team. We were supposed to go to UCLA together. Crazy wow. how history happens. And that never happened because he decided he wanted to go to Georgia Tech. Yeah. Um, and the reason why I chose UMass was because, okay, I looked at Syracuse and I said, man, they have a long history of uh, great players coming out of there. You know, 
one after the other, great players. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, North Carolina the same. You know, what what's going to make it different for me? How am I going to, okay, I'll just be one of the great players that went to school there. I wanted to go somewhere where they didn't have all of that. Like, I could go and build your own legacy and, and build my own legacy, exactly. And not only that, um, the coaching staff had a lot to do with it. Cal, I think he was 32 at the time. Yeah, he was a puppy. He was very, very young. Lots of energy. He was fiery. Great visionary. Uh, a great visionary guy. Um, and then he had two young assistants, man, that that I could connect with. You was know, Bruiser one of them? Bruiser was okay. one of them. And Bill Boehner was one of them. They both um, actually, Bruiser right now is with the um, – University Indiana? of Indiana, yeah. yep, Indiana as an assistant, and and uh, Bill Baino is with uh, the Indiana Pacers right now as one uh, of the top assistants. Yeah, that's interesting that they're yeah. both in Indiana. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, so you know, they had a young staff. Um, we had a promise, you know, and then I took a trip to the campus. Um, it was the cage that the famous cage, yeah. you know, that I've been hearing so much about. You know, and I see on TV, and I'm like, man place is packed yeah then you get there it's like tiny so little you know what i mean it's like a shoebox but you know the energy that came out of that place was spectacular you know the the students filled it and then cal he knew how to play on that you know he knew how to come in and um get the students to go He, he he got his team ready prepared we were always prepared for every situation so um so we built upon that and then we got the luxuries afterwards. So, mm-hmm. um, so you would you consider yourself one of the the uh, how would I put it? Like the early entrance before that transition occurred. Like you were there pre and post that shift. Yeah, well, um, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but I was at the tail end, the end right. of uh, of the hard days. Exactly. Call it. Right. So you know, when I got there, I didn't know what it was to lose because we won everything. Mm. I mean, but that's most highly recruited, big standout cats. Yeah, we won everything. It was the first time uh, we won the Atlantic 10 regular season. It was mm-hmm. the first time that we won the Atlantic 10 postseason tournament. Oh, you're talking first- about as a member of UMass. Yes. Oh, yeah. since the day you got there, yeah, y'all were yeah, killing. Everything, everything changed. Oh. Yeah, everything changed. So, um, so as we built our legacy in those first couple of years, um, we start to get more TV time. Mm-hmm. Um, so people start to take notice, you know. Kyle was taking risks by taking, you know, the North Carolinas or whatever, you know, where they thought it was an easy win, and mm-hmm. we was bumping those teams off, you know. So um, so there was a lot of hard work and preparation that, you know, in between. Then my junior season came, my senior season came, then we start, we start having the charters, you know, a little bit more food at the training table, you know, <laughs> that, those kind of things. So, you know, <laughs> and then and then you get drafted in the league, and then it elevates as yeah, far exactly. as the, the well, level luxury. We, we already know what the NBA is, right? Man. Right. You know, that I mean, just to play in that league is the level of excellence and professionalism is second to none. Yeah. And you were you there? Yeah, I think you were there. Go when you were playing for Golden State. Mm-hmm. Latrell Sprewell, I think yeah. the tail end of Chris Mullins' career, maybe. Yeah, yeah. I used to work out with him. Joe Smith. Day. Joe Smith was the number one. He was a rookie that year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. How how was and we're gonna again we're gonna go back because I really yeah. want to focus on the high school college era. Yeah, but yeah. how was it? Because you had um, uh, you know a, I guess a pre scandal Latrell, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you had the tail end of Chris Mullin, mm-hmm. Joe Smith, highly lauded guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got a few other cats. Uh, Daniel Marshall mm-hmm. was there, right? 
Bimbo Coles, Bimbo BJ, Coles, BJ Armstrong, Armstrong after the championship. Yeah, did you say Felton Spencer? I didn't, no. Yeah, Donald Royal yeah. from Orlando, Orlando was yeah. playing with that good team, Shaq and them. Like you had a lot, a, a lot, lot, of, of, lot of star guys on the team. Yeah. You know, you know the crazy thing? I wanted to get out of there. Hmm. Why? Um, it was my second year. I just got back, got out of uh, the situation in Detroit after we have a lockout. Oh, I didn't catch that part. We had a lockout. Because I was going to say, how do you get out of your deal out of Detroit? Like, mm-hmm. was it, well, it was a non guarantee. No, it was a guarantee. It was a guarantee. They, they, see, Detroit, I was the first pick of the third, I mean, the second, second. second round, yeah. the 30th pick. I was supposed to go anywhere between 10 and 20. Uh, Detroit was going to pick me at 18, but they had to pick Randolph Ch- uh, Childress, Childress, who they um, swapped out to Portland for someone else. Mm. Uh, so they had that deal previous year with them. So they had to take him to give to Portland, but okay. they was going to pick me at that spot. Uh, so they picked Theo at 17, and they was going to pick me at 18. Okay. Yeah. So I wound up slipping all the way down. So Detroit knew they got to say, okay, we got to steal with this guy. Let's just give him a guaranteed contract. Oh, okay. You know, so they gave me a one-year guarantee. I didn't have to fight uh, to get it, but it was guaranteed. But the situation was we had – it was my first situation where, okay, all right, this, the season was supposed to start this September – I'm not anywhere working out uh, with a particular team. Uh, my mom was making the transition from uh, New Jersey down to Virginia. So it was a lot happening in that time. And I wound up going to uh, one day they just said, okay, all right, we, we signed a deal. All right, everybody come in. Let's come to veterans camp and let's get the season on. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, wait, I'm not in shape. Right. You know? Um, so I went there kind of not, um, not in shape. Mm -hmm. I went there and I was okay the first couple of weeks, but because of the rigors of how and, um, how fast everything moved in those, you know, the transition in those couple of weeks, it kind of tore my body down a little bit. So Uh when you're not in shape, uh, that makes cowards out of all of us. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? You start to doubt yourself. Um, that's a lot of stuff. You're not a strong willed person. Um, and many of us are, you know, it doesn't mean that you're not a strong willed person. No, but circumstances, circumstances can rattle you. Yeah. You know, you can get, you know, this jar, I mean, you can get jarred sometimes, um, if you're not focused and that's what happened to me, you know? And then, um, um, so I left there, you know, after a season and I was supposed to get with Calipari and then that's when he signed with New Jersey. So my Uh. wife at the time was calling me at the end of the season Oh, cows keep calling, cows calling, cows calling. You know, he, he's talking about, you know, he's going to bring you over there. So, you know, we, you know, so I finally got with him. And he's so happy that he got this New Jersey job. You know, he's out of college, you know, and, they, and he's going to go to New Jersey. And he's going to, you know, step in. He's always wanted to do that. So it's like, you know, I'm going to bring you over. And we're going to show these guys how we do it, blah, 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 blah. So I'm like, cool, man, you know. So then Bill Bano's calling me. Bill, uh, Lou, can you come out? He's at Vegas University. This is when he was at UNLV. Mm-hmm. Lou, can you come out here and do a camp for us? Sure, no problem. So I go out there and I do a camp you know, with him. And now I'm noticing, you know, I'm in his office. He's getting calls all the time. And I'm like, man, what's going on, man? Mm-hmm. And it's these media outlets. So him and Kyle are warring in the papers. This is when that Marcus Canby and the Warriors and all this kind of stuff went down. And I had no knowledge. I had a little bit of knowledge of of what what was going down, but I wasn't in contact with these guys every day to kind of know what their separations was. Mm -hmm. So I had no idea that Kyle 
and they yeah. know we're riffing. Yeah. The year before I was at UMass, we were all good, yeah. you know? So I went out there and I did a workout for my man, you know? Bill's a pretty cool, cool guy. I don't know if you ever met him, no, but he's a great dude, man, you know? So then, we, you know, we pushed forward a couple of weeks and I go to New Jersey camp, you know? So I did the first day and Kyle's like, come on there, man. Um, I want to talk to you. Then he's like, you know, I'm thinking like, he's like, great to see you, yeah, blah, yeah, blah, yeah. blah, blah, you know? This is a man that I looked up to, you know, almost like a father figure for four years for me at college, you know? So I'm sitting there and he's looking at me. And he's like, you know, I'm really disappointed at you. And I'm like, I think he's going to say, because you're out of shape right. or something. Like blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I'm like, okay. I'm like, why? And he's like, well, you were out there, you know, with Bill Baino. And, you know, he's just start going off on this rant. And I'm looking at him. And I never heard him talk like that to me, mm-hmm. you know? I'm like, what are you talking about? I said, when I left UMass, we were all friends. What are you talking about? Right. <laughs> what he happened? Just, like, he just ripped into me, like. Almost like you did it intentionally. Exactly. Right. You know, like, I had no knowledge of that. So, you know, uh, he ripped into me. And this is when they had O'Bannon and um, who's the other guy? Uh, Sean Bradley, mm-hmm. you know, all mm-hmm. those guys. I think Sammy Cassell was on that team. You see those guys out there? Those are my guys. And when the shit hits the fan, they gonna be on my side. <laughs> and I was just sitting there like, like he okay. just chose your side for you almost okay. too. Okay. <laughs> uh, so, so that was a situation where you know I didn't handle correctly. Um, but wait, but why, why are you so hard on yourself? Well, uh, are you talking about going with Bano, or are you talking about after that? That conversation. After, after okay. that conversation. Okay. No, I'm not hard on myself because I chose that. You right. Because, I, I mean, you, you had, know, had no friends, I had no knowledge of it. Yeah. And, you know, we're all friends. You know, he didn't do, Bano didn't do anything for me. Right. I'm not going to choose one side or the other. Right. You know what I mean? I wasn't that kind of person. Um, my thing was, you know, we were in camp and I just got there. So that upset me a lot, man. Mm-hmm. And I kind of, I said, Craig, okay. And so I went back to the room and I kind of like let that process a little bit. And I'm like, wow. Like he really like was swearing, like he went at me. So I'm like, Phew. I said, that was a lot of lot to take in at, at once. So I said, okay. I called him up. I said, you know, I need to talk to you. You called up Cal. Okay. I called him up. We were standing after, the same after you decompressed yeah. a little bit. I was yeah. like, I need to talk to you. He's in his room. He's like, I'm in my room. Come on up. So I go upstairs. <laughs> I'm in the room. I'm talking to him. I'm like, you know, Cal. And I'm saying the same thing I said to you. When I left UMass, we were all friends. Okay? Whatever has transpired since then, I have no knowledge of it. You know, but what I see in the paper, I don't read the paper. I don't take that as facts. You know what I mean? I I speak to the people and what they tell me, you know, I I use that. form an opinion. Exactly. I form an opinion from that. And uh, I just went on and then, you know, he just didn't really see my side at all. You know, he, you know, and I just told him, I said, you know, quite frankly, I'm really hurt, man. You know what I mean? That really like, you know, cause it, you know, I didn't expect that at all. Right. You know, and he's like, well, you know, you're going to have to take it because, you know, you know, I was really upset. You're out there working out for that motherfucker and, you know, yeah. and this blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, damn, I'm like, something you know serious happened. Yeah. Something serious happened. So, you know, and I had a couple of friends I had this workout guy um, named John Harnett, um, who's a really good. Uh, trainer for me back in Philly. Um, and uh, he was close with Cal and them, you know, because obviously he's close to me, you know, he trains me every summer. 
And, you know, he was kind of like making a joke. Oh, Kyle's pissed off because you're, you know, you're out there in Vegas. Yeah. And I didn't really, like, I wasn't like, what are you talking about? Right. You know, so when I finally got in front of him, I understood what he was saying. Uh, so, you know, so here's what happened. We're in the, and this is when Iverson just got there, too. Okay. So, and this is when he first got in the league. Mm -hmm. So, we were having like a mini camp or something there. You know, it was New Jersey and Philly or whatever. It was a couple teams there. So, um... So I just left. I left the camp. And you know, his his GM and all the people in the organization said, see, you can't depend on that guy. <sighs> if he's going to do stuff like that. But they don't know what he the said back to backstory. me. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know what I'm saying? They just look at you like some arrogant prick. Exactly. Just like off. I came there and just, like, just left. You know what I mean? So I just left. I said, you know what? I'll do it on my own. So that's what happened. I didn't make wow. Golden State. I, they didn't sign me. They didn't come looking for me. I made that team. My agent said, Lou, they only have one spot, man. Get me to the training camp. I'll do the rest. Get me there. So I went out there. You know, and they had all these guys. And then I beat them all out and made the team. Who were you going up against? Like, are there any names that we might know? Um, The only one I can remember at the time, because they all went really quick, was um, Anthony Snake Harris, who went to Syracuse. Okay. He was from um, somewhere in Connecticut here. Okay. Uh, I don't know if it's... Dan Berry or one of those berries from, I can't, <laughs> I remember, but Snake, he was a cool dude, very smooth dude, you know, but they wasn't looking for guards, you know, he was a guard at that time and we had tons of guards on that team, right. you know what I mean? Yeah, tons. Yeah. So he and I was the last one, ones on, on that team stuck, sticking around and I think we were going on a trip to Japan mm -hmm. and that was when the coach was going to make the decision that he was cutting everybody or whatever. So. Right. Um, Rick Adelman said to me, he's like, listen, man, you've been the best thing and like even better than some of our veteran guys, you know. Um, so you're definitely on this team. Wow. You know, and that's how I made the team, you know. And Spreewell, me and him hung out all the time. He's <laughs> like, I, he told Rick Adelman, you got to have this dude on the team. Wow. You know what I mean? You got to have him on the team because I challenged him every day. You know, I, you know, I didn't take shit from anybody. Yeah. You know what I mean? I didn't care who you were. You know, I came into the practice and I worked hard and I just – Brought, raised the level of the practice, you know? So it's like, like this guy stays around. <laughs> what, would you say, and not to, con, not to say in any way that you didn't have a dog in you, you mm -hmm. know, all the way through your career, do you feel like that moment, that, that conflict with Cal caused you to have an even bigger dog in you? Absolutely. For this next phase? Absolutely. So I'm going to tell you a story how we, we go next, right? Mm -hmm. So he didn't talk to me. We didn't talk, all right? So let's go forward. Joe Smith is from Norfolk, mm -hmm. Virginia. Mm -hmm. So Golden State wanted to do a game in Norfolk, Virginia. My parents were living in Chesapeake. Okay. So it was a great thing for us to take that trip. And guess who we were playing? <laughs> the Nets. The New Jersey Nets, you know. So we went down there and played, and this is the first time I see him. So I'm thinking, I'm like, what's he going to say? You know, because he probably thought I... He's not going to make a team or whatever. Right, he, he discarded you, yeah. So I just went out there, and I just did my thing. And then I went out there, and he saw me. He looked at me. He was like, wow, man, you look really good, man. How you doing? <laughs> and, you know, started talking to me or whatever. You know, but I let it go. You know what I mean? Because if, I felt like if I carried it, I'm only hurting myself. That's... You know, the progress of myself. So, you know, I just let it go, and, you know, we start talking again. And, you know, that was that was it. You know, and that's, that's how I became. 
made the Golden State team. People think that like they came and got me or maybe they signed me or I was traded there. Yeah. No. Um, I actually made that team. Yeah, it was it was fuzzy for me to understand the transition. That's why I was curious. Especially with all the politics and uh, uh, the way the NBA moves contractually, like it's sometimes it could be chaotic. It's so it's so um, political Mm -hmm. um, um, in certain aspects. But some of those guys can play. You know, like for my example, you know, and I don't want to put anybody down for Golden State, but shit, man, we won twenty eight games that damn year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? It's tough. And I'm one of the young guys on the team. I want to play. And we got a, all these old heads on the team. And, you know, they just, I'm not, I wouldn't say they're just showing up, but we're 28 and I don't know what, you know? Mm-hmm. Let the young guy play. Let yeah. him get on the floor. So I kept talking to the GMs or whatever. I'm like, yo, let me go. Let me out of this contract so I can go. Because I was frustrated at that point. Coming from UMass, playing 30 plus minutes a game or whatever. Being a man, I knew I wasn't going to be a man right away coming into the NBA, but I thought I was going to get significant minutes Some where kind of burn, yeah. I can prove myself. So, um, you know, so I just, I, I just, you know, pushed and pushed and pushed, and then I created that opportunity for myself, you know, by believing in myself. But you know, no, the NBA, we had all of these guys on the team, so they're playing. They got NBA structure like this. You have the top guy who is LeBron, he gets 30. So it's not like, okay, you're on the team. It's money slots. Mm -hmm. So what slot am I going to take? Right. You know, now if I don't fit in one of those slots, the elite slots, you don't play. An NBA owner is not going to sit there while this guy makes $10 million and sit on the bench, even if he stinks. Mm -hmm. He's got to play. He got to play. Right. You know what I mean? So that's what young guys deal with. If you have talent and you have on uh, an insufficient, I wouldn't say insufficient contract, a low yeah, contract, low, low you know, contract. Uh, when you don't have much um, um, guarantee situation, you mm-hmm. know. Um, so that hurts a lot of the players. That hurts their emotions because uh, they have an anxiety. All of them have anxiety. You know, they waited so long to make it to this level, you know. Now you're here. Now it's frustrating because you want to get out there. Now people are starting to ask you questions. Oh, Lou Rowe, when you going to play, man? Oh, I saw you, you know. Damn, man, when you going to get back on the court? Like these questions. the man right in college. Exactly. What happened? What happened? When you going to get minutes, you know? So now all this stuff starts to play in your head. And you're like, every day you come to practice, you're consistent. You work hard in practice. You're at every training. All right, you, you go work out, you know? And then you're fighting, you're fighting, you're fighting. Um, and sometimes you just don't get the opportunity. So when I sat down with the, the management and I'm like, guys, you know, I want to play, man. They're like, Lou. Please be patient, man. Mm. We understand. We understand. Well, these guys got to play. You know, just be patient. You so were pa- patient? <laughs> I, no, I stayed. I stayed. Okay. I actually stayed the whole season. And we wound up uh, finishing the season 28. And I don't know. Was, you know the balance. The whatever balance whatever gets you to 82. <laughs> you know, we wound up winning 28 games, you know. And we did not finish good. Oh, I forgot to tell you, we had Scott Burrell on that team too. Ah, yeah, the baseball player. Yeah, yeah, you because know, I remember That's times funny. when he was sitting on the table, draining his knee. We guys were all banged up. He had this Ooh. yellow stuff coming out of his knee, and they would drain his knee every game before the game. Wow! And then they, he would go out there, and they would have to put him on the floor. You know? Wow! So yeah. So, so t- take us back, because I'm very curious. Um, I don't know a lot about. Jersey basketball in particular. Right. Uh, I'm starting to make my inroads into Jersey. You're actually, consecutively speaking, you're like the third Jersey cat okay. I've had. 
I had Tim Thomas a couple ago. Uh, Timmy. I had a guy, uh, you probably know him actually, um, Ben Gamble. He was assistant coach at St. Anthony's with uh, Bob Hurley. It rings a bell. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and yourself. Yeah. So, especially, you know, kind of distant from the inner city, the, the, tr- the, the metropolitan exactly. area, yeah. right? Um, South Jersey, right? You you Closer practically in Philly, 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 right? Philly. That <laughs> so, was basically my second home, yeah. right? I yeah. can imagine. Yeah. So, like, how was it coming up playing ball in AC? How competitive is it? Was it for you? Like, what were the dynamics that kind of molded you and sharpened you into the person you are? All right, cool. Glad you said that. Um, I was a football guy, and I tell the story to everybody all the time. You know, I used to play with my. Um, uh, AC Dolphins, they're called. Mm-hmm. You know, big shout out to AC Dolphins. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what that is. What yeah. is that? Well, it's a a, a little league uh, football team. Oh, oh, yeah, oh, oh, a little okay. league football so, team. I don't know why I'm yeah. thinking football equipment yeah, when you said yeah. it. AC I put totally space yeah, on AC. <laughs> yeah, Atlantic City uh, Dolphins. Okay, so. okay. And uh, it's it's a really big uh, program that's down there. And uh, I love football. Mm-hmm. You know, during the days in Miami, you know, it's kind of weird. People are like, how do you like Miami? You're from New Jersey. I like Dan Marino, yep. uh, Mark Clayton, and Mike Duper. Mm-hmm. I'm like, how's this guy throwing fire at them and they catch it every time? Everything. Every time. So I was a football guy and I love football and I love cracking people. You know what I mean? And I, I was kind of like, Weird in a way because I like getting cracked too. Hmm. So I was a little bit psycho when it comes to that. Yeah, yeah. But I, but that's how I built my aggression, not aggression, my aggressiveness. Okay. Yeah, all right. Yeah. In the sport. Um. So it was one you day you got your toughness early. Toughness from early from that, and not just from um the sport. You know, you had to be tough growing up in Atlantic City. Mm-hmm. You know, I grew up in a time where a lot of my friends. And family members were like turning up dead or like missing. And so it was a real turbulent time uh, to grow up in Atlantic City. Um, but it was also a time where uh, the hood guys respected athletes, you know, and they gave you a pass. And if people was messing with you or had issues with you, they would address it and say, you know, this kid is doing something, you know, step Get back. out of his way. Yeah, exactly. Right. So and they would let they wouldn't allow you in their world. Exactly. Like if you try to be like, yo, let me get, try to exactly. make some bread. Now nah, you over exactly. there. Exactly. So you know times have changed a little bit, mm-hmm. a little bit, a lot. You know. <laughs> but anyway, so one day I was at junior high school. I was in junior high school, and you know how they have um, those boards in the hallway where they have you know school activities or whatever. So the pinup boards. Exactly. Yeah. So I just stopped there one day. I was kind of like looking around, you know, see what the activities are, kind of you know updating myself what was happening. And then um, a gentleman by the name of Bernard uh, Reynolds walked down the hall, who was, was the junior high school coach. And he looked at me, he's like, damn. And this was the time I didn't know I was tall. I didn't know I was big. I was mm-hmm. just- You're just a kid, junior 14, high school kid. 13 or whatever, how old I was, I was just being me, you know? He looked at me, he's like, wow, man. He's like, you play basketball? I was like, no. And I couldn't even, I had two, Two thumbs. I couldn't even like make a layup. <laughs> and uh, he's like, man, you should try to give it a try, man. You got great size. And I'm like, nah, I'm a football guy. And mm-hmm. I like playing football, blah, 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 blah. He's like, man, listen, just give it one chance. All right. We got a game tonight. Won't you come and play? It's right after school. All right. Uh, wait, you don't wait. like it. Like a, like a league game? Like a game. Not like practice, not like, like a practice, scrimmage. No, not like a scrimmage, a game. He said, yo, come, come and play. Off the street. Off the street. You said, I don't play basketball. I don't come play, play basketball. with us. Just come. 
So I know what he was doing. He saw my size and he knew I was bigger than everybody. Yeah. So he says to me, just go get the ball, man. You don't have to score or shoot or do anything. Just go get the ball. Mm-hmm. I put you in, just grab every ball you see. And um, so I went out and I played that game. Yeah, and I grabbed every rebound, you know. So we finished the game. We won the game. Everybody's jumping around. And then a couple kids come up to me like, you're great. I'm like, what did I do? I didn't even score. <laughs> and then the coach is like, man, you know how many rebounds you had? I had 25 rebounds. Yo! In a game. Off the street. Off the street. And he's like, wow. and so ever since that that moment, I, um, I was like, okay, you know, basketball, maybe I might have a little thing going ahead. I mean, there must but, have been like the high you felt from all that adoration had to do something to you. Well, um, it started turning my oh your interest in my interest. Okay, I, I I didn't jump right into it, but here's here's what turned my interest. All right, um, so now I've started to build a relationship with this coach. Now he's starting to say to me, I had no prior knowledge as to how guys go to college. I didn't even know you can play college basketball right. or even sports in college, and I didn't even at that time I wasn't even thinking about college. Mm-hmm. So he says to me, you know, I coached the guy who you remind me of. And I'm like, okay. And he said, um, he goes to St. John's right now. Mm. His name is Willie Glass. Mm. So I'm like, Willie Glass? I'm like, who's that? And so- And there's um, no internet back exactly. then. There's no so Googling. He says, they have a game tonight on television, you know? And back then, we didn't have a whole bunch of networks yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I had to really like, make sure I was home you know what I mean? There's no, no let me put no, the, no recording, let me put the, uh, the alert reminder. on my phone, yeah, the nah. reminder. It was none of that. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I had to be conscious to catch this game because I want to know who this guy Willie Glass was. Right. You know, he piqued your interest for exactly. Sure. So I'm watching this game, and then there's another white guy on the team who's shooting the lights out. I'm like, who's this left hand white dude, Chris Mullen? Yeah, of course. Yeah. So then Chris Mullen he comes down, goes off the dribble, he throws an alley oop, and guess who's catching the alley oop? Really glass. And I'm like, wow. And I'm hearing the, the announcers say this guy's name, and there's so much excitement, and all the the stands and the fans, and everybody's going nuts. And I'm like, wow, man, you can do that. And you know, I got chicken skin just being a fan watching that. Yeah. You yeah. know, so I'm like, I want to do that. You know, so the next day I came back and I talked to the coach. I said, listen, I watched Willie Glass last night. I said, he's everything what you said. He's a great player. I said, how can I do that? <laughs> I want to do that. Let me, said, play, let me play devil's advocate for a second, right? <laughs> okay. Let's say Willie had a terrible game that game, right? right? Okay. You probably would have been like, nah, coach, not that interesting. No, not no? really. Okay. Because it was the whole ambiance uh, you of everything. You were exposed to college exactly. basketball for the first time. The, the atmosphere in which those guys played that attracted me. Now, so, that's a forbidden um, atmosphere for certain people. Mm-hmm. You get in, in that atmosphere and they're nervous. They freeze. Yeah. You know, I always like being in the middle of that excitement, you know, and, you know, going out there and competing. So... So I saw that, and I'm like, I want to play on that level. I want to be in front of those people. I want to be on TV. I want that announcer saying my name. Hell yeah. You know? So um, so he said, okay. All right, well, you know what you got to do, right? You got to come play with us. So one day I went to practice, right? And and by you, this was a couple of days later after the 20 rebounds thing. So okay. now 
Every day after school, I used to go straight home. And my mother used to know when I was arriving home because I used to make some Tarzan noise or whatever. <laughs> and, you know, you know, you're a kid, you're yeah, running yeah, in the road or whatever, you're making noise, you know. And I used to make noise, and she was like, okay, it's my son, he's getting off to school. One day, no noise. No Lou. Right. And she's like, what is going on? She had no idea I was playing basketball. Right, right. You know? So... <laughs> She told my stepfather, like, let's go. My son's not here. And Something's up. Granted, people are dying. People are getting killed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The atmosphere all is all messed me. up. And, you know, and I'm just a young kid with no car, no cell phone, you know, none of this. No, 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 no way technology. Of, no way of getting in touch with me. Right. So she put her shoes on. She hit the streets. I'm looking for my son. First place she goes is the school. By the time she gets there, I'm walking down the steps after practice. Boy, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> what the hell? You know, so we always tell that story about how I got started in basketball. Yeah. was scared and deaf out of her. You know what I mean? <laughs> and then something good happened to me. So that in that moment, that was the transition where I went from football uh, to basketball. So you you didn't do both. At that point, you decided, I'm going to follow this you know, path. I dropped football in that moment. Now, I came to football um, later in my career, I came back to it in high school one year because okay. one of the coaches wanted me to play. Um, but we'll get to that later. Yeah. Um, but in that moment, that's when I made the transition and said, okay, I like this game. Hmm. You know. So then I started developing as a player. And then we started playing junior high schools. We had little games and stuff. Equivalent to suburban you have here, I don't know, in the inner city what they call it, uh, where you know the junior high schools play against each other to have yeah. a little league. And then... Um, so I liked it so much, um, I started playing PAL basketball, you yep. know, and we had a PAL um, basketball a league, not a league, but, you know, it was open to the public, and then we could go in there after school and kind of shoot. They had video games, and it was kind of like a hangout. Yeah, community you know? center exactly. type of vibe. So a lot of my uh, um, friends would play video games. I'd be on the court, you know. Playing, playing with some grown you know, men, probably. Playing. Well, you know, I, I would play with whoever I could play with. Yeah. You know what I mean? Probably was grown men. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> at that time, was it was it the nighttime game? Like, was were you there? No, this was like, during the day. It okay. was during the day. You okay. know, you'd be after school. Uh, you walk home from school. You'll stop there. You know, and kind of you know hang out a little bit before you went home. Kind of like you know they have after school activities right. and stuff that going was the, on. The for, equivalent for exactly. you, exactly. You know, so that was I think the turning point of of uh, me getting into basketball and taking it very serious, you know. So after that, um, I, I played actually in the PAL League, and one guy named Elwood uh, was coaching. And this was a prominent guy down there, bless his soul. Really good guy who, who was a community guy who cared about the kids, you know, and he helped a lot of people, a lot of youth guys uh, in that area, you know, athletes and just um, students alike, you know. He was bringing everybody in, helping them out. So he helped me out a lot, and he was one of the coaches. So and these are crazy memories. So I remember we went down to D.C., and we played a tournament, and then we had an older team. So I was kind of watching them. I'm like, wow, these guys are good, you know. And then we played, and then I remember he used to say, and this is how I knew I started to be good. So I had no... Barometer. Sense yeah. of what's good or what's bad. Right. You know, who's a good player, what's that look like or whatever. And I didn't know I was one of them. So I would get the ball and just put it in a basket. Right. Everybody liked that. I'm right. like, okay. <laughs> this is giving a good yeah. response. And so 
he would say, you know, we were struggling. He'd be like, to the loo. He would say that. To the loo, to the loo. So I remember that in my head to today. <laughs> to the loo. To the loo. To the loo. And they would come and down and try cue. to get me Passing exactly. The ball. Get the ball to the loo. <laughs> and I was scoring it every time. And I had no clue. So I started to get a sense, all right, as I got a little older. Like, okay, I, I'm, I'm okay. People starting to take note. You know, and then, I, you know, I went into high school. Um, and now there's, there's another guy who's from there who you might know also who's Ralph Talley. He got drafted by the Lakers. Yeah. No, it doesn't ring a bell. Oh, man, you got to Google him, man. Ralph? Ralph Talley. Okay, Talley. I will make he a note. He probably was the best player out of Atlantic City. Really? Yeah. Okay. I, I, I got to look him up yeah. for sure. I, I probably, I'm probably the third best in history out of the, out of AC out of AC. Who's you number know, two? Um, number two was um, Rodney McCoy. A he played at UTEP with Tim Hardaway. Tim, oh, damn! Yes, sir. Yes, that's sir. humble of you, though. That you say you're number three. Listen, you're man, a realist. I'm a realist, man. Okay. You know, here's the, the realist. Thing. Realist. Here's the thing. You know how you, they say those stories where, <coughs> excuse me. Man, if that guy didn't get sweet pea, if he didn't get, mm. get into drugs, yeah. the guns, the gangster been, life, right. he would have been better than Magic Johnson or whatever. Right. That's what they say, right? Right. Same situation here. Mm. Ralph Talley, he got into drugs. He says, I mean, he does stories now and he does a lot of things to help the, the, the youth. And he talks about his life and all the mistakes and the pitfalls of um, being into drugs and stuff like that. So that's the path that he chose, right. you know, which hurt him in the end, you know. But this guy was so athletic, man, for a point guard. Damn. I had never seen anybody that explosive off the dribble that small, you know. Um, and he got drafted late, uh, I think, in the uh, second round mm -hmm. uh, in those days. And he was a great player, man. He can score off the dribble. Um, he can score... Uh, stationary or spot up. I mean, he, I mean, he can go to the rim. He was a great pass. He was the complete player to me. Um, he just didn't uh, do the right thing off the court. Yeah, and that's what cost him. him. Rodney McCourty, same thing. Went to UTEP, played with um, Tim Hardaway, had a, a decent career there. This man was like a Lou Rowe double XL. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, his shoulders were like this. Um, he was a physical specimen. Right. You know, and I was saying to myself, like, this guy's this guy's supposed to be the top guy. So I would try to go at him all the time. Mm. You know, every time we played, anytime Willie Glass came around, I would try to go at them all the time. Always want to get on the court. Let's go play. And then they always like, ah, come on, young fella. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Relax. Know, come on, uh, yeah, come on, young fella. I'm like, no, I'll beat you. You know, yeah. I'm like, oh, no, you talking guy? shit. I'm talking shit. Yeah. <laughs> I'm talking shit. I'll beat you. Come on. Nah, come on, young fella. You was trying yeah. to get him one on one? Yeah. Oh, you know? man. So, you know. You're young, you know, you yeah. always, you're a young boxer. You always want to test your skills, you know. It's just, you know, you know how we are. Yeah. So I wanted to test my skills to kind of see where I am. So eventually they let me on the court and I'm handling my own. You know what I mean? So we had a summer league uh, at the West Side Complex in Atlantic City. And uh, now we, you got guys coming back, playing in it. And you got local guys, you know, a guy named Blake Shelton who had like super duper hops, hmm. drugs too. Damn. You know, all these guys were like, they'll give you 50 and then go home and shoot up Harris. Shit. You know what I mean? So, excellent athletes. They just come from a place where, you know, their homes are not safe. Yeah. You know, they grow up in um, uh, homes where 
they're just not conducive uh, to children, mm -hmm. you know. So they mm -hmm. grow up, you know, building bad habits and they're getting into that life and can't separate the both, right. them and the two, you know. So, and not knowing that, you know, uh, your personal life is to what ultimately hurts your, your career, right, you know. Right, right. Um, yeah, but but how do we know that as young people? It's super you know difficult. I mean? You know, super how do difficult. we know that, you know, if we're not guided by adults? So a lot of those guys... You know, their parents are in jail or their dad killed somebody or, or vice versa mm -hmm. or, you know, or they're on drugs or hooked up on drugs or both of their parents are on it. So they go home, you know, they don't have a good example, you know. So how can they get out of that situation, you know. Damn, um, so man. it was very tough. So I seen all of these guys. Fortunately for me, I never saw that part of them. Okay. You know, I heard about it. I saw it sometimes when they like strung out. Or you whatever. saw the effect of exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. But I never hung out with them for that. You know, I never was around that kind of thing. It always never felt good with me. Sure. You know what I mean? Doing drugs. So being, <laughs> even though I could be around guys when I was little, you know, it was part of the culture. The culture when I was young, you know, people was doing that stuff. It was around family members, friends, you know, but I knew that wasn't for me, mm -hmm. you know. How much, how much do you think, because um, it sounds like you had a relatively stable household. You, had, mm. you mentioned your stepfather earlier, your mm. mother. You had that parental unit pretty much your entire life, would you say? Well, um, here's the funny thing. Actually, no. Um, okay. My mom um, was on the streets, you know. She, she wasn't home. Okay. You know, she wasn't home. She was on the streets since she was 14. Ah, so she was making the, the best out of her life. And then um, she had me when I was 17, when she was 17. Oh, okay. You know, so you know how that goes. A young woman, you know, having a child and she's on her own. So she's trying to figure it out and trying to provide a home for me where it's safe, you know, where I can grow up and be healthy and have fun. Um, so we kind of bounced around a lot, mm. you know, when I was younger. You know, fortunately for her, she had a lot of siblings that, you know, she can, you know, go here. We stayed with my aunt for a few months. We stayed, you know, with this aunt or that aunt, you know, and eventually until she was able to get on her feet, um, and my sisters and I, I had three other sisters. Hmm. Um, I'm the only boy and I'm the oldest. So we bounced around this city, you know, quite a lot. So we never had stability. Stability. Got you know, it. Until I got a little <laughs> bit older. But even then it was like, Okay, three or four years here. Okay, now we're Got moving here. It. So it was always bouncing somewhere. Um, now, my stepfather came around when I was 11 years old. Uh, it kind of provided a little bit more stability, but they both worked all the time to pay the bills. And you were already kind of full-formed man exactly. at 11 for exactly. the most part. So my mom did a really good job. She put her foot in my ass. You know what I mean? That's hard to me. do. You know, she put her foot in my, my, my ass and told me, look, you know, she's fought me. You know, when I was a kid, you know, you're not going outside, you're not doing any of that stuff. You know, I, so. I applaud that shit because it's <coughs> it's really hard for a single mom to mm. raise a boy. Yeah, especially and that when environment they, yes. and that environment and on that top environment of that environment was very very tough and toxic, man. You got you you have to put your foot in your yeah. kid's ass if you're in that situation. So just think about that. She worked all the time, and I'm like at the doorstep, thinking like when you go outside. She's saying, I hear her voice. When you go outside, I, I got eyes everywhere. I yeah. know you went outside. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. I'm at the doorstep, like, looking around, like, <laughs> outside, you know? and she's at work. But that was that mental thing that she, she, she put on that. me when I was younger. <laughs> you know what I mean? So that kind of kept me in line a little bit. So I'll, you know, 
I played with that a little bit. So as I got older, I started to venture out a little bit. Yeah. But I had the principles, the, the fun foundation. foundation already, you know. So hmm. I was always a kid. I wasn't a violent kid, you know what I mean? A lot of guys, like, you know, my friends, they were always, like, sticking people up, robbing people, taking people's bikes. Mm -hmm. They have something you they like. They take them Jordans off, off your feet. You know, I remember one time my mom bought me a Sherlin. Uh, and I'm walking to school, you know. You remember back in the days. I don't know. Well, you're you're younger than me, but those Sherlins, they were very nice and hood. expensive yeah, at that pricey. time, you know. And Atlantic City's like Massachusetts gets freaking cold, mm -hmm. man. Cold as fuck. Yeah, you know what I mean. So I'm going to school. I'm like, yeah, I got this nice Sherlin on. I mean, the Sherlin hat. Yeah, you know. So I'm I'm you know I'm like yeah. So I'm walking to school. Some guy comes on the bike, snatches off of my head. Yeah. He's like laughing, riding down the street. And he's an older guy. So it's not physically, excuse me, physically, I was younger. You know what I mean? So he was much of a much um, bigger dude. Bigger dude. You know what I mean? And he was on a bike. So what was I supposed to do? Right. So I kind of chased him a little bit and he just you know, kind of rolled off laughing and. And it was a guy in my neighborhood because I've seen and had you know, encounters with him several times. Mm -hmm. You know, I think he's dead by now. You know, doing that kind of stuff, you right. know, is yeah. going to eventually lead to Catch that because you, you, you meet the right person, they ain't going for it. Right. Um, but anyway, it was those kind of situations that that I was encountered with that I had to make the right decisions. Like, mm. all right, if I'm am I going to get into it with this guy? Is he carrying a gun? Yeah. Or you know, I have to be smart about. My decisions here. Am I going to lose my life over a hat? You know, but my mom didn't like that, you know? Yeah. So I came home with your hat because she works hard, of you know? Of course. And that thing probably cost a couple hundred bucks and she wanted to provide it for me and I lost it, you know? <sighs> so all she saw is that I lost it, you know? So I learned to fight a little bit, you know, for certain things, you know, but I had to make a choice what they, those things were going to be. Right, if they were it's, worth it. worth it, you know what I mean? Because we were living in a time where it wasn't really safe, hmm. you know? I lived on a street where it wasn't safe, <laughs> so, <laughs> let alone walking out of that street. <laughs> so um, it was those moments um, that made me a little bit tough, you know? Um, it was those moments that she kept me in line that at a young age, all right, I didn't get into that stuff where I had junior high school guys coming to school with guns. Mm -hmm. and I remember one time, uh, one of my friends, Abdul Parker, you know, um, he comes to school and he's fueling with, you know, some other rival gangs or whatever. And these guys in junior high school with guns, man, you know, who does that? Like, so I'm up here in Happy Valley, Amherst, <laughs> and, uh, you know, those kids can't even phantom what's that like. Yeah, you know, know what I mean? That's completely uh, foreign. Completely foreign narrative, you know. Um, so when I speak to stuff like that, it's like you should see their faces, you know. <laughs> you know what's funny about that? Um, you, uh, I speak to kids often, mm -hmm. and you know, growing up in similar type of environments, I can relate to a lot of what you just described, right? You tell that story, this story that we're just talking about now, to someone who's not from that, mm -hmm. and they're like. You know, wow. But it's I guess it's more common now, so it's not as jarring. Right. It's almost expected, mm -hmm. which is crazy. Yeah. But you're right. You tell your boys from the block about your experiences at UMass, for example, mm -hmm. and it's like 
Like you just you, exactly. you took this is a sci-fi flick. Exactly. You just made all this up. Right. Like it's so far Foreign gone. Yes. And it's so funny because you the reaction is compl- almost different. Exactly. It's very exactly. different. Exactly. So te- so like let's talk about like as you're graduating high school, mm-hmm. right? How how much buzz is there around Lou Rowe? Uh, it's a lot of buzz, man. A lot of buzz. Um I started to um so in my sophomore year is when I started to get noted, you oh. know? So that year- And you were I, playing the vars- varsity squad? I was playing squad? varsity. You know, I played <clears throat> varsity my freshman year with the coach, Bill Devaney. I hmm. remember his name. He wouldn't let me off the bench even though I was better than a couple of guys. <laughs> Don't worry about it. It's all right. Yeah, it worked out exactly. in the end. <laughs> so, um, so finally, when he let me out the cage, yeah. you know, I just went nuts my sophomore year. And then I remember one specific thing. I was in the USA Today, and back then, they weren't giving notoriety to, to high, school, high guys school guys like that, yep. you know, unless you did something extravagant. I scored 42 points in the game, and I didn't know I did that. You were just balling. You I didn't... was just balling, having fun, and that's the thing. I wasn't a stats guy, like, all right, what did I do afterwards, you know? Yeah. I just liked playing the game. It was so much fun to compete, and, you know, the game was just like, you know, that was like my, my out. Mm. That was my out in Atlantic City. You know, that was my refuge. You mm-hmm. know, uh, I would do that not to be at a party where I know that's going to be trouble. Right. I would do that not to hang out with my boys on the block where I know that's going to be trouble. Mm-hmm. You know, I would use that as a refuge. And that's one of the reasons why I become so good because I spent a lot of time doing it. You know, even if I was just standing in front of my house, you know, just dribbling the ball, you know, I would take my ball everywhere. Mm. You know, you're one of those kids. You slept with kids. it? I slept with it. I I took that thing everywhere. You know, <laughs> I dribbled that thing so much, it didn't even have any leather on it anymore. It was furry. Oh, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, one yeah. of those things. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, shoot, even the fur was about to peel off of it. You know, it was rubber <laughs> with at just the, the end. Just yeah, the black rubber. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that, that my sophomore year, I scored those 42 points. That was the peak. I mean, the time when I said, oh, man, I'm really good. You know, I'm, I, I start. That was the first time I said to myself in my head, like, okay, I'm starting to listen to these people. Maybe I am good. You're like, you know? okay, th- now you've proven to yourself exactly. I'm that dude. Exactly. That they talking about. So that year, um, there was another guy by Lloyd Barksdale um, uh, who was very influ- influential in my, in my life because he was my freshman coach. He was not only the uh, freshman coach, he was uh, the West Side um, uh, uh, Complex uh, director who okay. ran the Summer League as well. So he was very much built into the community and um, very helpful for me. So uh, I guess someone got in touch with him and said, okay, you got any guys down there? And he said, yes, we got this young dude named Lou Rowe. Um, take him with you. I'm telling you, you're going to like him. So he asked me, you want to go to Vegas? Do I want to go to Vegas? What kind of question right, is that? Right. Hell yeah. I've never been out you know of AC. I, mean? <laughs> I, I ain't even ask questions. Like, yeah, you know yeah. how some people, okay, when we leave right, and right, all right, that. Nah. I'm like, yes, right. yes. Okay, now I'm waiting for right, the next right, instruction. Right. You know, when we, you know. <laughs> so, so I hook up with a team called uh, Connecticut Select, uh, Select by Wayne Simone. Now, this is when I started to realize, okay, I got to play this travel basketball to get noticed. Mm-hmm. All right, by the college coaches. It's not going to just be in high school. Right. So that's when I started to take note of, oh, okay, now I started to understand how this process works. Okay. You know, this is going to take me, give me the opportunity to go to college and further this career 
that I love so much. And this know? is and this is you just learning this on the way. There's very little to no outside guidance. Exactly. This is you kind of piecing it together exactly, as you go. Exactly. Wow. I'm just piecing it together myself. <laughs> Here and there through you know um, certain coaches or whatever. There's no internet where I can go. No, okay, sure. look at this website and they provide all the information on Five Star or Nike Camp yeah. or stuff like that. So it's just like word of mouth. And back in those days, they used to do booklets. You know what was it called? Like the the hoop scoop. Hoop the, scoop. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Hoop scoop. Yes. The hoop scoop was the joint. You know yeah, what I mean? You yeah. see all the rankings from all the states in there. Yeah. That was a really popular book. So I started to take note of that and then I saw my name in there so that all of these things combined started to give me motivation you know what I mean and started to get that train rolling you know and then did you did you look at it as yeah you get you have the opportunity to kind of li live your personal version of what you saw Willie Glass and Chris Mullen but also was it like yo this is my ticket out of this, this impoverished environment that I grew up in both. Okay, you both. you did consider both. both. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it was a times that we were hungry. You know what I mean? It was times that I was hungry um, because of circumstances. Yeah. You know, I never went without. You know, I might not had enough food, but I never went without. Right. You right, know what right. I mean? So, um, and then I seen my mother uh, struggle. You know, moving house to house. You know, trying to find situations to take care of my sister and I, my sisters and I. And uh, I didn't want that for myself, you know. I said, I, I got to find a way, all right, to make my situation and my family situation better, you know. And I started to look at the basketball as a way out, yes, mm -hmm. you know. But also, it was inspiration to me because I, I had all these models of guys. I had guys on drugs. I have guys who actually went out of here and played. So I had a couple of models. All right, what model do you want to be? Mm -hmm. You want to be a guy who's just great here? Um, and he's a he's a hood legend, and everybody respects him here. But you know he's all burnt out, and he's on drugs, yeah. and he's ruined his life. All right, mm, that's not really appealing to me. You know, I want to do something over here where I can go and get my name called on TV. All right, and that ultimately leads to me um, giving me financial freedom where I can help myself and my and my parents. Mm -hmm. So um, that all inspired me to like put this package together to go forward. Uh, so now I'm looking for tournaments and stuff now. Not people are coming to me. Wait, wait. Let's talk about how it went down to Vegas. Yeah, this okay. is your first one. Yes. Okay. So, so you make it out with Connecticut Select. So we go out there, right? So, yeah, it's an interesting story. <laughs> That's all we're doing. <laughs> yeah. I love it. I love it. So we go out there, right? So I'm meeting all these. I think Bill Curley was on my team that year. He went to Boston College. Mm -hmm. uh, we had... Um, uh, the guy, Snake Harris, who went to Syracuse. Oh, okay. we, we had a lot of guys who got Division When you play on that level, you got a lot of guys who go to Division One school. Uh, Travis Best, obviously. Yep. Um, and a couple myself and a couple other guys. So we go out there, and uh, we're kind of hanging out, you know, and it's about just basketball, really, and you're kind of connecting, you know, a little bit of team bonding, that kind of thing. And um, so I've never been to the West Coast. So this is a time when Easy E, fuck the police uh, and all that shit. You know what I mean? Yeah, I was blaring and, through the speakers. And in those days, to hear "fuck the police" on the radio was like, <gasps> yeah. did he just say that? Yeah, yeah. You know, so it was like, you know, so that was like a group that, like, everybody was like, who's these guys that don't have? They don't care about shit, man. Yeah, yeah. Fuck the police. You know, they talk the way they they live the way they want to live. So that was something. 
forbidden about that, but attractive at the same time. You know what I mean? So the forbidden uh, usually is. Exactly. You know? <laughs> so when we went out there, we were in the hotel and we stayed in like this luxury, like outside hotel thing where they had it almost looked like duplexes or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then they had like a corridor in the middle with like palm trees and water fountains. And lo and behold, guess who's staying there? NWA oh. Slick Rick. You know, so I remember some, I got a concert. So, so I'm like, man. So now basketball's not only providing me an opportunity to travel. Now I'm starting to see people that I see on that TV. You see in magazines. Yeah, yeah. That I see in magazines, <laughs> that I hear on the radio. So Slick Rick, this guy, I'm in my bedroom. And you know, in those days, we used to have the posters yeah. you know, of like Michael Jordan. I had the Dominique one. And then you know, you have your artists on there too. You know, run DMC, whatever. You put big posters on the wall. So I had Slick Rick. One of my my dudes, you know, yeah. and he was just like I saw him on the the TV. He had like looking like Big Mr. Chains. T, all the chains and the patch, the the the, the, patch, the, the Kango, the smoothness, a cool dude. You know, I was like, yo, can I get a picture with you? So and he was cool. He was yeah, like, he yeah. was cool, but but he wasn't gonna take the picture. I mean, so how, oh, okay. we ain't have no got you know, it. Yeah, no phone. We had no phone. We right. had a camera. So it was just him and the bodyguard, right? So it was me and, and I think one of the other, I think it was Travis Best. So we're walking. And I'm like, I'm all excited. I'm nervous. I'm like, yeah, I'm about to get a picture. So I look at his body on. I'm like, oh, you can, can I take you, can you take the picture? He was like, I'm not taking it. <laughs> so I'm like, how are we going to get this picture? So, so I'm like, Trav, come on, man. So he got, you know, so Trav took the picture and I wound up getting the picture with him. Dope. And then later on that day. Tell me you still have that picture. I don't, man. Come on, I Luke. don't, man. I, I can remember what it looks like today, though. But don't worry. Technology I, will come soon where you can take the picture from your mind. Yeah, <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> so so we was there, man. So then then now I'm like, bro, I'm like, so now I know there's a concert going on okay. in Las Vegas. And then, you know, you got some artists who are standing in some hotels out there. So now we see NWA. They had a party in one of the apartments. Okay. Same thing like you see on the TV. Movie. Probably from the Card- scene of the Card- movie. Cardigans, you know, how they, white tees, all that kind of stuff. You know, jury curls. I'm yeah. talking about they was dripping, dude. Like, <laughs> dripping. Soul glow Yeah, drip. you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> but they was having a party, had all these girls, and I remember they all got kicked out. You know what I mean? Police came because they was just causing too much yeah. ruckus, In man. the same joint that and you were staying at. the same hotel, wow. you know? So then one day... Uh, the next day, Travis and I were standing outside the hotel just talking about the opportunity we have and, you know, talking about school and we should, go, and this was the moment we were talking about going to UCLA together. So we're just standing and talking, right? So if you're not of the West Coast, you don't think like a West Coast guy. Yeah. So this car pulls up in the parking lot. Now, the team we played for was a red team. Okay. Oh, we had all red shit. on. So this car pulls up. You pig ass motherfuckers and blah, 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 blah. we're gonna be back on blah, blah, blah. I'm like, and we it's like almost somebody's talking, so but somebody you know, but talking to somebody else, but you're not paying attention to them. Yeah. I'm like, what are they saying? And they start doing all these signs and stuff, and I'm like, oh sweat. So then they peeled out. Yeah. So me and Travis like, yo, let's go back in the hotel. <laughs> let's, get, let's come back spraying, you know. So that was the first time. So basketball has taken me 
has provided me with all kind of experiences like that throughout my life. You know, now this is just one experience. Right. You know? I'm sure so there's countless. <laughs> countless. So, so, so now I'm a young guy. You know, I don't know how old I was. Probably junior in high school. Um, but you know, those experiences right there is kind of shaping me. Like, wow. You know, so every turn it's like a new experience. Hmm. So. All right, let's get the basketball. So we, we go out there. Now you got all of these elite guys. You know, we got the Brooklyn Cavaliers out there with Jamal Mashburn. Mm. You know, you got some team out there with Sean Bradley. This dude was like skinny as it's in your <laughs> tripod over there. Yeah. Tripod. Um, but I was starting to get exposed to all these top-notch guys. Chris Webber, Dewan Howell. Excuse me. We were all out there. Chris Webber, all those guys are That's in the right. same you class. Came, yeah, you came we're up with the We're all in the same five class. Era. We're all in the same class. So now we're out there. It was my first experience, and I was decent, but I wasn't the best player. Mm -hmm. That didn't sit well with me. Hmm. I'm used to being the best player or one of the elite guys out there, right. and I didn't feel comfortable with that. So that what I took from that experience is I had a lot of work to do. Okay. So what I did was when I came back, all right, I started to go up to Philly, um, started to work out up there a lot more. Um, any chance that I had... To, to play against now Willie Geis and them are coming back. And I'm like, dude, let's get on the court. So now they're giving me an opportunity. You know what I mean? So now I start to beat these dudes. Mm -hmm. And they like, you know, saying to themselves, like, this guy is really good, man. You know? So now I'm like, wow. Now if I can, you know, stay on the floor and compete with these guys, you know what I mean? I can play with anybody. Yeah. You know what I mean? So now I have the motivation. Now I have to just put in the work, you know? And that's what I did, you know. So that that uh, that opportunity to prove to yourself against high level competition just flipped the switch for you. Absolutely, that motor Absolutely. just started revving extra. Yes, now. because I'm like, because now I'm seeing like Jamal Mashburn, I see him on magazine, mm -hmm. they're saying this guy is going to be the next whatever. Then you see this guy Sean Bradley, who's like seven one or seven whatever. He was like seven, seven eleven. Six. Yeah, <laughs> the seven, was seven huge. something, seven twelve. Or whatever, <laughs> right, right. You know, he was just biggest basket. But I was saying to myself, these guys are just big. They ain't like, you know, I'm out here playing with them, but they're not like, like destroying, mm -hmm. you know, while I'm on the floor. So I'm saying to myself, I'm playing right there. I'm just a little bit younger. So that motivated me. Like, I can compete. I have to. I'm jumping. Now, where I'm from, I'm used to jumping and being over the rim and nobody else is there. Okay. You know what I mean? Right. When I went out there and jumped and I was over the rim now, Chris Webber's was like, he's like right, right. there with me. Right. So I'm like, man, now you have to figure out it ain't just athleticism. You got to start being smart. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Um, and, I, and that's when I learned basketball is more 85% mental. mental, you know, than the physicality. The physicality is gifts that we all get. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, not all of us. I still haven't dunked to this day. Exactly. So I'm waiting for that. Well, <laughs> well, what I was saying is it's a gift in terms of, you know, if some people don't have that physicality, right, right, you know, and then right. some guys get it. That's a plus, yep. you know, because there's some guys who can't jump over a pancake, but they can score they the, can, the yeah. shit out the ball. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so that's what I was trying to say in that comparison. But, you know, so I had to say to myself, okay, I'm mentally, I'm there. How do I go from just being under these guys to here or above? Right. You know? And I started to see, okay, you got to be seen at these tournaments events. all the time, these events. So you got to be there competing with them. So you latched on to as many of those as you could over the remainder of your high school, high school tenure. Career, yep. Mm -hmm. And then you do you so you credit that with the opportunity to be heavily more widely recruited than I guess in your particular region. Otherwise, it probably wouldn't have happened. Would you say? Yeah, absolutely. I would have just been like. 
the local the guy. Best, the best guy in New Jersey or something. Right. Or, or like, maybe Rutgers. The yeah, or the, yeah, something like that. And I thought, because Atlantic City is not like Philly. Mm-hmm. It's not a big hub like Philly. It's not a big hub like um, NYC. You know, these places, um, you got people who want to come in and there's other things to do there right. outside of just going to see this kid play. Right. You know, so what was the motivation of people coming down Atlantic City, go to right. the casino right. and lose money? And also, there was no motivation for them to even see me. So now I said to myself, I got to get out of here. And also, now I'm starting to, anytime my um, AAU coach called me, I remember um, one time he called me and he said, we got a game in um, Poughkeepsie, New York. New York. The only reason why I know how to say that name is because I, I practiced it before I got on that train <laughs> to go up there. I'm like, Poughkeepsie, New York, how do you even say that name? And you then know? when you read it, it's real confusing. Exactly. <laughs> so I got on the train and I jumped, me and my, my teammate, Romaine Hayward, who went to uh, Atlantic City, I mean, uh, uh, LaSalle. He was my teammate in high okay. school. He, went, he wound up getting a scholarship to LaSalle. We jumped on the train. I showed up to the game late. 35, we won the game, got back on the train, went home. <laughs> you said you scored 35? 35 points. Got there late, got scored there 35? Late, scored 35, got back on the train, and went home. And the ride was like four hours. Yeah, it's a troop. It was like and four hours. And it's not hour. easy to get to from exactly. where you was coming from. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. it was like four hours. I get to the gym. These guys are already on the floor. I didn't do no stretch or nothing. Damn. I get on the bench. Coach said, Lou, I get in the game. I get warmed up, start scoring. Once I got my first dunk, it was all it was all over. You know? when, did, when was, do you remember your first dunk ever? I don't. That's crazy. I don't. You've just don't been know doing it forever. I, I've been, well, <laughs> not forever. Can you I, do it now? You get yeah, up? absolutely. Yeah? Damn, you know, the, kids, the kids try me, and I say to them, all right, if you give me a dollar, I'll do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My motive, I say to them, I say, what's my motivation now to do Yo, that? Yo, you're not the first athlete. What is my motivation to do that? I have nothing to prove. Right. You know, so why would I want to do that and, and particularly hurt yeah, myself yeah, 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 at yeah, my yeah. age? <laughs> now, it's $50,000 on the line. I'm dunking that all day. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it has to be some some kind of more, uh, motivation for me to do that right now. You know, <laughs> you, talk, you talk about the kids. So uh, let's dive in a little bit into Hoop Nerds. Okay. Um, first, I think the name is awesome. Thank you. Um, you. So you got into that. You say it's about three years old now. Yeah. Um, and so what, season. Yes. what was the motivation behind uh, starting that and starting it here in the, in the Amherst area? Okay. All right. So uh, a couple years ago, maybe three or four years ago, I was at UMass, um, was kind of moving up in the ranks a little bit, and then uh, all of a sudden it comes to an abrupt stop. Mm-hmm. We lost um, significantly. We all got fired. You know, In college basketball, usually when the head coach gets fired, his entire staff right. gets fired. Another coach comes in, and they bring their entire staff. So that's what happened. Now, um, like I told you before, I wasn't really comfortable with the college landscape for me. Now, some guys like to live in that that realm, you know, where um, they can accept instruction all the time from somebody else. They need to be guided from by someone all, all the time. And you're referring to this as a player, or as, no, as a as a coach, as a coach. or as an administrator, right. or you know, working for the, for the program. You <laughs> Got know? it. Um, and ultimately, I just felt like. I need to be in charge of me and my situation. Mm-hmm. Not, you know, I not having not, it being dictated exactly. to you. Exactly. I didn't want to conform to 
you know, I'm not really a conformist. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to be conforming to what you think is supposedly happened. Discredit my 17 years as a pro. Crazy. Discredit my legacy at UMass. Sit on the end of the bench and work your way up. Right. How big of a slap in the face is to a person that you say you appreciate, you're a legend, or you're all this, but you put me at the end of the bench? Mm -hmm. How big a slap is that? I don't know. To some people, they might think that's okay, and they might think, oh, that's the way college basketball is. Right, I got to pay my dues. I ain't going for that. Okay. I'm not conforming to that, you know? Do you think, and if you're honestly observing your role versus Mm -hmm. the others on the bench, do you honestly believe that you were would have been able to be more impactful in a let's say higher role in those under those circumstances absolutely okay. absolutely I had so much respect from the players because they understood my knowledge mm-hmm. you know um and I can say this now because I don't work for a university <laughs> but I secretly worked out players I mean caddy why, why, did Lane, have, why did it have to be secret though like i don't see that as a bad thing exactly but here's here's and, and this is what's confusing to a lot of people you know because i mean the ncaa you know to me they're like a mafia oh for sure they're a mafia organization sure. they use all the players and they get paid and then they say you can't get paid right during the time i was there i come from you know you got guys coming from um poor backgrounds yep you bring them into a situation where they're away from their home. They can't work. No, you can't work because you go to the university. Because you you a slave of the school. Exactly. You can't. The coach can't buy you a meal or it's a violation. That's wild. Where is the humanity mm-hmm. in that? I'm seeing play. I was one of those players. I needed freaking shoes. I'm one of the top players in, in America and I got to walk to Mullins with holes in my shoes? Yeah, that's crazy. In the cold? You know, where's the humanity there with that? So I say the NCAA is a, it's like, a, they're like the mafia, man. They set all of these rules up where they went only. You know what I mean? And then it's, there's no education set up for the players and how they make the transition after they get out of school. Because not all of those guys go play, play, for, uh, play professional. 100%. Not all of them. And then they say, okay, well, we gave you a scholarship. That's BS, man. That's a, a bunch of crock of shit yeah. that I ever heard. Yeah. Because yeah, while they give you $60,000, they make $60 million. And a lot of times the athlete doesn't even graduate with their degree. Exactly. Because yeah. the cards are stacked against them. Like Back to the age, right? Now, I'm a person that I like to hold people accountable. So if you got your... Like, for one of my kids, and they were lucky enough to get a, mm-hmm. a scholarship to go play ball somewhere... Right. I fully expect them to graduate. Right. I don't give a shit what's happening. Absolutely. You need to go get that degree. Yeah. Now, I know that that's really easy to say. Right. Not that easy to do, right. especially when you're a full-time athlete. Exactly. Student, I would say, is probably 30, 40% of the time. Yeah, man. And you know, so that's why they do the five years now. Right. Because right. now they understand that these, the, the schedule. It's and, rigorous. And I mean, just think about it. We were the Duke in the 90s. Yeah, yeah. There was we a lot of do. rap songs about y'all. You know, exactly. You know? <laughs> and I remember Gangstar said my, my name yeah. in the rap. You know, okay? so I was like, yeah. Uh, that was my man. But, um, you know, it's, it's very difficult, man. Like, you go to school, okay? You're expected to be a regular student, mm-hmm. all right? 
you're now what if you okay that might be okay if you're just a normal team sports illustrator ain't coming in to do an interview yep. in between your day this person ain't coming everybody in the world wanted to interview us and everybody was like pouncing on Amherst mm-hmm. in those days so Marcus Canby Lou Rowe whoever else was on its team all right we're always doing interviews we're always got to be here doing this press conference where's the time to go to the class and study. You think I want to go back to my room and study? No. After practice and, y'all and ce- all these interviews and all that ce- kind of stuff? Y'all are young celebrities. Who the fuck do you expect to go to class after some shit I like that? I don't want to go back to my room and fucking study for an exam. Right. No. I'm tired. I want to no. go to sleep. No. You know? So, like, you know, and you know, they always put this pressure on, oh, you got to be a student athlete. Yeah, yeah. it could be done. You know what I mean? But a lot of people cheat, man. Come on. True, true. Yeah, let's not, yeah. I don't I don't want to make it sound like it's impossible. You I know, just, no, it's, yeah. it's just really difficult to, considering the age, the notoriety right. of these players, like how important, especially in college towns like the one we're at now, like right. you guys are the pro team in the area. Like, right, exactly. that's, that's what it is. Yeah. So everywhere you go, you almost got to be hiding because you're going to be pulled out and, you know, yeah. you you popular. So, yeah. it's really so I always I always take issue with that for a lot of those same reasons. I feel like it's unfair. We talk uh quite a bit here on on the show about like so what is one to do, right? Um as as the as the league itself as far as giving student athletes a fair shot at at a minimum, monetizing their image and likeness, right? Right. right. Um, a, a gentleman, uh, Ed McDonald, who was on my show, he's an attorney. He played a little bit at Boston College. He um, he actually happened to be the lead uh, uh, attorney involved with the Boston point shaving scandal back in the eighties. Oh yeah, I remember that. Yeah. yeah. So um, he mentioned something I thought was phenomenal. And uh, Kyle Cuff, also uh, from from Rice High School, he played at St. John's. He also mentioned something cool, which is basically like yo. Find a way to take a pot of money and I don't know what the actual system would be, but basically create some sort of fund, mm-hmm. right? And these players, after they graduate, let's say, whether it takes them four or five years or 20 years, whatever right. that number is, right? Because a lot of kids have the opportunity to come back. Right. Then they can flip a switch at a certain age and then they can start to draw those funds. Mm-hmm. Um, re- a couple of reasons I think this is cool. One, the age that you're in, college age i think is not the best time for you to be making decisions with tons of money exactly right i agree um secondarily you plan for the future no many folks when they transition out of basketball don't really have a good game plan right their resume looks like i play professionally in all these different places right and that they have a hard time translating that to a resume right so now you got this pot of money that you can kind of utilize so that you can start moving in the direction of transitioning into the real world right. with a lot less, hopefully a lot less stress, depending on how much money that is. Right. I'm curious, just given your personal experience, mm-hmm. how do you see the world as it relates to the NCAA and, and how, how should they consider re retooling things to make student athletes have a better shot at things? Um, I actually think that's a good, um, good point. You, you just brought up, you know, um, cause you know, like I said, a lot of kids come, come from, um, a lot of basketball players, I should mm-hmm. say, you know, when you recruit these guys, um, a lot of them come from backgrounds where they don't have that, that education about around surrounding economics and finance. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, saving the money, all right. And, you know, them having an the opportunity to have access to that money when they have a more mature minds, a great idea. 
All right, because all the you know you're you're in an experimental age when you're in college. Mm -hmm. You know, you're trying a lot of things out um, um, socially. You know, with your friends and stuff like that. So a lot of that stuff is drinking. You know, yeah. going to clubs and you know blowing uh, money fast, uh, fashion. Yeah, you know, and stuff like that. So that's where all the money would go in that time. You know, and they'll have nothing. But I think that should be also some kind of program instituted where uh, play, players are able to get the visualization what they can do with the money, you know what I mean, after they leave. You know, because like you say, they just got basketball here. You know, a lot of those guys are, um, they see things and they can translate, you know, what they want to go, translate where they want to go in their lives. You yeah. know what I mean? It's not always you can say to them, and talk to them and have a conversation and say words, you know, and they need to see yeah. how that can uh, impact their lives. Right. You know, how it can apply to them. Exactly. Yeah. So I think if they, you know, if there's some kind of program where, you know, they can also institute in, in conjunction to the money, you know, I think those guys would be better off because I have to be honest, man. I've, I learned very little when I was at, at UMass mm -hmm. the first four years of my life. Mm -hmm. You know, I learned, I actually went back to school when I, when I was done playing in 2012. 12? Yeah. I went back to school and I finished up in one year with 34 credits. Wow. You know, and it was so easy because all I did was talk about life situations, you know, and I applied that to the work that I was doing, you know, but it's also true, too, that I got a lot of my education, you know, that I should have gotten at a young person um, after I left college. Yeah. You know, and that involves a lot of mistakes, you know. Uh, so, you, you know, you grow and, and that's where you, when your wisdom comes. I, you know? I, uh, I was a big proponent of this while I was at UMass. Um, I, while I don't necessarily discount the academic knowledge that I obtained, mm -hmm. I give way more credit to the uh you know, the recreational side of things, meaning UMass does a great thing where they empower students to run student organizations, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. And they allocate budgets for them to put on programming or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. Given that's, I think, one of the first times that I personally learned how to be fiscally responsible with a budget or, or right. some means of learning financial literacy mm -hmm, to some mm -hmm, degree. Mm -hmm. And I value that opportunity way more because it, it did a few things. One, it it made it forced you to be creative in how you use the funding. Right. They had it set up that way, mm -hmm. right? Secondarily, it made you really work within the community of the student body because the whole purpose of those those organizations was to help the student body in some way, shape, or form, whether it be entertainment, education, whatever it is, right? Mm -hmm. And so it pushes you to commingle and work with all these different people so you learn a certain set of skills that way right. um but the the opportunity to fail mm -hmm. and with minimal risk was a humongous benefit because yeah. now you can make some mistakes here and there all right you blow some dough you have to account for that mm -hmm. you have almost like a counseling session with your 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 rso counselor right. And then you retool and you don't make the same mistake right. again. So I've, I, I, and I actually went to one of the administrators when I was a student there and I was like, yo, give me a dual degree for all this shit that I've been doing and let's figure it out because right. university without wall me, I don't know, whatever the fuck right, it needs right, to be. Right, but right, like, yeah. this is super valuable. Right. And it's in two years of me really focusing on that shit. I feel like I grew so much right. and it helped set the stage for me after college. Yeah. 
but nobody talks about it. Nobody, I don't think they value it enough. And in the same way, kind of the way you're talking about structuring a program for student athletes, mm -hmm. I think something like that experiential mm -hmm. where they actually physically are involved in something makes a ton of sense. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, because when I was there, uh, it's almost like you're separate from everybody else mm -hmm. in the university because you spend so much time uh, with the basketball program. And yeah. then we travel, you know, half the other time, mm -hmm. you know, so... So I didn't really feel connected to the university at all, but just going to the Muller Center, you know, okay, I got this place where I sleep. Yeah. All right, this is where we eat, but I spent minimal time there. So um, I just think, yeah, like we spoke about, if they had some, you know, program like that where the guys can come in and actually can, can put themselves in situations where they can learn how to use, you know, economics and, you know, that ultimately later in their life it gives them you know financial freedom you know and little c you know because a lot of them come from backgrounds where they don't have that knowledge and yeah. i was one of them yeah i was one Me of too. them you know what i mean so i'm still struggling yeah <laughs> i'm still figuring all? it out uh, we are? <laughs> <laughs> so anyway back to your question about hoop nerds yeah. so we're at i'm at umass and i just think um after the fire uh you know i was already because I didn't like the way it was all lining up. So, okay, this is my third year. They made some promises to me. I'm not going to say what they are. You know, it is what it is. Life's happening, okay? Now, at this point, I'm a grown man. I got to take care of me. I got to do what's best for me. Now, there were some programs offered um, uh, through the administration where you can enhance professional enhancement. So, I started to take those trips out to, like, I went to go visit um, – um, Bill Baino at the Indiana Pacers. Mm -hmm. And then I had a friend, uh, John Hammond, who was with um, the Greek freak in them over in Milwaukee. Okay. Um, so I started to do that, that kind of stuff to, to kind of stretch out there a little bit because I thought uh, maybe if I start doing that, they start to see my value. I'm like, wow, how's this guy like knowing these people on these levels? Mm -hmm. And guess what it did? It started to spark the interest of the coach and, you know, a couple of people. They're like, hmm, this guy does have value. Why is he over there doing that? So now, they, you know, they're trying to bring me closer back to campus now. Yeah. And then we just all got fired. Uh... So when that all happened, I said to myself, if this can happen to me, you know, and I'm the low thing. Low on the low, totem pole, yeah. And that can just happen to me like that. I don't want to be in this kind of situation ever again. So you wanted to take the reins and control your own destiny. Exactly. You know, so I said, what can I do, all right, that's going to allow me to help young people, you know what I mean, and kind of um, stay relevant in what I'm doing, mm -hmm. you know? So I, it never dawned on me that I was going to be doing this skill work or being an AAU coach um, at the latter parts of, you know, my career. And um, it's just the beginning of your second career. Exactly. Don't make it sound like you're an old man. No, I'm not an old man. I'm not an old man. I, sometimes I feel like it, but I, I, but um, yeah. So I just thought I said, what can I do? You know, in in this area. So at that time, you know, I just met a woman uh, that I had been with for a year, a fabulous woman, Evelyn Aquino, my wife, my my current wife right yeah, now. Yeah, shout out know. to Evelyn. Yeah, it's my baby. <laughs> but you know, um. So she inspired me in so many ways, you know, um, you know, she coming from her, um, her background where, you know, she's in education. Um, she's, uh, an activist, you know what I mean? So she speaks to a lot of, 
um, social issues, social issues, and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And she she helped me recognize a few things, you know, um, what was happening at the university and on that level, you know. And she just looked at me and she's like, "You can do, you know," because you know I thought for myself, and I think you know I, it's safe to say that other people felt the same that I was kind of you know aligning myself to be the head coach there. Yep. And that's how I, you know I always carried myself as a professional. Um, so she looked at me, she was like, you're just as professional. You can do this on your own, you know? So I what I did was I said, okay, wh- what could I do? Mm-hmm. All right. So then I came up there, I'm like, you know, bouncing all these names around. Okay. I want to start a, a skills company, you know, but I don't want it just to be basketball. You know what I mean? I have a lot of, of life lessons to teach, you know, to the, to the young people, you know, and all the pitfalls, surrounding life you know what i mean and how basketball uh can be used as a refuge to get away from to get away from that kind of stuff how basketball can be used um as a tool uh to help you with your experience mm-hmm. you know because it's helped me travel all all kind of places all over the world right meet new people all right speak new languages speak new nang- languages exactly <laughs> um so it's it has enriched my mind you know so to speak you know this game so I wanted to give back to the kids in the same kind of way, mm-hmm. you know, and also to remind them that you, not all of you guys here are going to be playing professional. Most that, of you will not. Exactly. So, but through this game is what you learn is respect for one another. What you learn is um, your integrity. Uh, what, you, what you learn is how to compete. All right. When it's time to work, be professional, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, because a lot of kids, they come in, you know. I don't feel like being here today. Well, neither do I, but we're here. Oh, we're here. So what are we going to do? Right. You know, you're going to powder. We're going to get this work in for an hour and a half. Right. You know, so it's about that, you know. So I think I've made strides because I have a couple of kids who are already in college. They don't play basketball, but they got baseball scholarships because they learned at a young, young age. I got them when they were seventh, eighth, ninth grade. Okay. Um, they learned how to be a professional. They learned how to, to apply professionalism and anything that they do, you know, so that they came in, you know, if they practice in baseball, you know, I got to work a certain way if I want to improve. Mm-hmm. And that, that's what anything in life, you know, absolutely. So that discipline, exactly that discipline. So I wanted to do something like that. That felt good to me, you know, and it also gave me a platform where I can not only just teach basketball, I think I have a wealth of knowledge from MBA college and then overseas um, you know, in these last 25 years, basketball has become global and it's the same everywhere now. Mm-hmm. And I mean, and, you, you lived it also. Left, it's the same everywhere. I mean, you, right. When I went first, dude, I played in Korea. Wow. One season. And I'm like, Asians, really? Yeah. I'm coming over here to destroy these dudes. Right. I did. You, you think. <laughs> I did. However, they got some ballers over there. Okay. First time I seen a guy shooting Three point bank shots, not a fluke. No, not not accidental. This was a shot. He hitting them joints. Wow, consistent on a forty five to fifty percent clip. First time I seen a guy shoot bank shots for free throws. He's shooting that thing at an eighty five percent clip. Mm. I'm like, man, this is old school basketball. These dudes was putting it in the bucket, so it's respect. Yeah, you know what I mean. Respect for for the game there. And now respect for their culture, you know? Hmm. It's funny. um, I never really looked at it this way, but you saying that just kind of triggered something. 
you know how hip hop has evolved so much, mm-hmm. right? And I think we share similar era of appreciation, like mm-hmm. the nineties, late eighties, nineties was is like the area era I love. Mm-hmm. Um, when you hear rap artists, especially the 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 older generation, that that generation of rappers, when they go overseas, they feel a completely different amount of love and respect than they do domestically dude like and it sounds similar like the game right the the basics the 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 core elements of the game are well respected and still thriving outside of you know the US and i guess it's not watered down here but it's a lot more focused on the flashy yeah yeah see when i was overseas it's a crazy thing i right, just imagine me you're in new york you're in atlantic city you're not going to walk around with your phone and your wallet out like this. Nah. Just around, you know, look what I got, guys. Right. You know what I mean? So overseas, it was the first time I could be at a cafe and I don't have that element of, I'm not scared. I, I'm not gonna say I totally it. I understand. I won't be in Atlantic City. I'm not scared, but the, it's the tension. You're on you're high like, alert. High alert is the word. Mm-hmm. You know, it was the first time you'd be overseas and just complete relax. You don't like, you're not looking over your shoulder like, mm-hmm. Watching situations, being aware, it's just relaxing. And I, it was so many times I'd be sitting at a restaurant or a cafe, looking over the ocean, and I'd be thinking about wow. the United States. Like, damn, what they doing over there? Right. I'm completely rocks over here. Right. You know. So I understand what you mean by that. It's just a different culture, different, a way of being, way. a way of, of, of life. You know, mm-hmm. Spain. I loved it. You were all over? It. Were you all over Spain? All over Spain. Wow. Well, I know Spain like the back of my hand. Yeah. yeah. You said and 11 years, they, right? They were actually Ricky Rubio, uh, Pau Gasol. I got mm-hmm. stories about all of those guys. Give me one. All right. Give me one. One story. All right. Paul Gasol, 22 years old. He played for FC Barcelona. Okay. FC Barcelona is like playing for the Lakers. Mm-hmm. They might even got more money than the Lakers. No BS. And I didn't, you don't know this when you're in the United States because we think we right. got the best everything. That's right. You know what I mean? That's right. They got the biggest football federation in the, in the world, you know, and they've been around since the 1800s. Damn. I didn't know that. I went to a, I went to a Barca game once out there. And in Barcelona? It was, yeah, it was amazing. Yeah. So you went to Barcelona and watched yeah. them play. So you saw the arena right in the same yes, parking I lot. Yes, I saw it. Yes. That thing holds 125,000 people. And that's not one seat. That's empty. Empty. Yeah, right. The whole city closes Shuts down. down. You ever go in the parking lot and you see all those cars sitting out? Phantom. Yeah. Uh, uh, all kind of fancy cars. Those football players be showing yeah, up, man. They, they, they ball out <laughs> of control. They be balling out. But anyway, like, so, you know, Barcelona is a prestigious kind of, and they get all the great players. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? If you're a good American player, um, they, they'll eventually get you. Uh, so, Bar- so he started in that federation as a young young person. And now... Right, because they start they, early. They it's start... Like 14, 15, 16 maybe? Sometimes even earlier than that. Yeah. Because they don't have the same system that we have here. Luka. You know? Luka Doncic, I heard, was like... They signed him mad early. He was like a prepubescent team. I played against Rupi Rubio as a professional oh. when he was 15. Wow. And he's playing in the game with me. Wow. On the same squad? No, on a different oh, team. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Wow. He's playing with too. Yeah. in Barcelona. Okay. That's the other team in, in, in Barcelona. He's playing with them, and he's 15. Him and uh, Rudy Fernandez. Mm-hmm. Both of those guys went to the league. So these are the guys that I played up against, and I'm the MVP in Spain. 
the scorer in Spain. Uh, I've done that for several years. So I'm playing ball. I'm playing Paul Gasol, and uh, you know, and I'm just this young guy just getting in the league myself. Even though he's younger than me, mm-hmm. I'd been in the NBA, and then this was my first experience over okay. there. So they're trying to like trying to figure me out because they haven't seen anything like me. A guy. I'm not a big guy, but like I'm coming from the NBA. I've been playing against all these guards. So now I added that to my game. Mm-hmm. Now I can go inside, outside. So they're trying to figure out how do we play this dude? Yeah. So they got this tall dude, skinny dude. And this is when he had the short hair like you. And he's like, you know, all young in the face, but he's still good. So he's trying to guard me. Can't guard me. So now they got to, I've never seen any team put a box on one on a big guy. Like, you know, or a small <laughs> forward or something. So they had Powell Gasso on me and then another six eight guy. So I got a seven foot dude guard me and a six six eight dude guard Backing me. Up. Yeah. And I'm six seven. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? So uh that was that was a, was a great experience right there. You did know? you did you win out in that even though they tried to stop you? No, okay. no, that they was we, we always always end up you don't beat Barcelona, man. Mm. Barcelona is like it's really lopsided in, in yeah. Spain. You know what I mean? If you're not Madrid or Valencia or, or I play with Tao, the, the other big team that's in Vitoria in the north of Spain, mm-hmm. um, they're not going to give you the game, man. And then, you know, if you're playing on one of the lower – I mean, Jaime, Jaime can tell you this too. Yeah. When you're playing – not the league, the lower teams because okay. it's 18 teams. When you're playing on one of the lower teams – The Knicks. The exactly, Knicks of, of – Exactly. The, damn, that um, hurts. Sorry. <laughs> you don't get the respect, man. And then you don't have as good players. Right. So all the big teams, they get all the good players mm-hmm. because they got the capital. Right. They pay them. Yeah, and that's all that matters. Exactly. There's no system Exactly, exactly. Balance so there's nothing. no balance like the NBA where it's got to be a cap and, you know – uh, maybe that's changed um, since I, I've been out of that, that league. But um, when I was there, there's no system for that. So it would be an unbalanced league. You know, the mm-hmm. top teams up here were always every year crushing it, it, crushing or be at the top or kind of fighting each other for a championship every year. And then it's, it's the rest that's trying to survive, you know. And the light's about thing. to be exactly, shut off. Exactly. <laughs> you know, all lose, um, your check is going to be late. What? You yeah, mean, you know that nah. kind of thing. Nah. So, so speaking of Jaime, uh, yeah. uh, he mentioned something, and I couldn't quite understand it. So I want, I want to bring it to you, see okay. if you recall. Um, I think there was a moment where your teams were battling it out, maybe in the playoffs, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and it went like a like the series went on for a while. Yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah, I do. Yeah. All right. What? What? How did it transpire? Like, what? What do you recall? How was well, that battle? That battle was okay. They were. Uh, one of the top teams in that league. Okay, um, this team actually this was the lower level. Okay, so I was already in con- uh, uh, career. Okay, so what teams would do in the playoffs? I wasn't there all year, but I was in career, so I was kind of going home. They end early. Spain goes all the way to like May, end of May or maybe mm-hmm. even June, uh, if you go into the playoffs and stuff. So what players would do if you are available on the market, your agent would say, well, you know, you know, lose available, whatever. You guys are looking for somebody to enhance your team or whatever. So they'll sign you for a month or something like that. Mm-hmm. And they sign me for a month, you know, to come back to Spain, you know, before I go home. We wouldn't take that. Little you know pit what I mean? Stop. So I'm like, okay, yeah, I'll take that little guap. Yes, sir. <laughs> so I went back, you know, but this is the, I think the lead. 
Okay, it's the yeah. lab, lab championship. So what happens in the lab? Let me explain a little bit, a little history here. So the top two teams who win the championship, and this is why guys fight so hard, of the lab will go up to the ACB. Which is a higher league. Exactly. Yeah. You know, that's where everybody wants to be. And then the you know, lower two of the, the top. The lower two at the top will drop down to the lab relegated. if they finish the last two. Mm-hmm. So this we were in position to go up. So they like, yo, let's get loose. So you can bump us, us in Exactly. There. So I came back and, you know, I, I, I was playing with a few guys, you know, and they were really good. It was a good team. Um, and then we played a team, destroyed them, played another team, destroyed them. And then I think we're playing these guys uh, to actually get to uh, the Chip. championship. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think he was playing with Leon. Yes, that's right. Damn. Yeah. By the way, we talk, I, we could talk about Jaime. Jaime Peterson, Dribbling Dimes alumni, who was one of our old episodes. They they had a little battle we're trying to get into now. Yeah, <laughs> Jaime. I played against Jaime in college, too. I bet. At Pitt. He told me. Yeah. He told me. So, um, so we're over there, and that's one of the reasons why I know Jaime. Yeah. Um, so we go over there, and we play. And, I, you know, you know Jaime's from, from Brooklyn. From, the, uh, yeah. from Washington Heights. Washington Heights, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so you know, you know, got the New York talk, you yeah, know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. And I resonate. I, I like Jaime. He's a great dude. You know what I mean. But when I get on the court, I'm just no turning into a demon. Yeah, no friends. I just turn into a demon. So you know, we out there competing or whatever. And some guys take it personal. They really do. You know, they, you know. And I didn't think Jaime took it personal. You know, mm-hmm. you know, we're from the same place where we drink the same water. Right. So we're gonna compete. Right. You know what I mean. So we're in the game. We're competing or whatever. You know, and. uh you know, we just going back and forth with the series. I think we may even took a lead or something. We went up 2-0, and we pretty much thought we had it, mm-hmm. you know. And I think we lost like three in a row or something like oh, that. Oh, wow. Today. Yeah. Because, you know, what you do is just like two at this spot, and then um, – no, it was two at their spot. They beat us. We went back to their spot. We beat them two times, so we tied up, okay. came and played that last game. At home. And because they was playing so bad – all of our guys thought, oh, we got... Them. No, we actually played them at their spot. Oh, okay, they were the ranked 50. higher. Got it. Yeah, they were ranked higher in the position. So we played that last game at their place. And um, we wound up losing that game. Mm. Um, not that that I didn't come with it. A lot of the guys weren't mentally ready for that game. They thought these guys were just going to lay down because they lost two games in a row. You know, And now these guys got home court advantage and they are hungry mm-hmm. because they want to go up, you know, to, to yeah, the ACB. That's league. where the money is, you know. Right. So, and the guys didn't just show up. And then we had some guys who didn't really have the time. You never know, have played with guys. They're out there trying to do things they ain't supposed to be doing, mm-hmm. you know. And it, it was just one of those guys that you see characteristics for some players out there on your team. And you're like, what, what are you doing? That's yeah, not what you do. Now yeah. you want to do that now. Coming out Game's, the box. Game is on the line. Let's uh, practice stuff. Ain't this not the time to practice that? Right, you know? right, right. So we wound up losing the game, and you know, Jaime was all happy and stuff for that. You know, <laughs> yeah, he, uh, was. That he was. was. <laughs> but that was the only time he beat me. So Jaime, <laughs> you better, you better enjoy. You know what I mean? <laughs> enjoy. So, so Lou, I know we could talk about tons and tons of things, but I, I know you have to get back to your family. I want to just ask you, kind of a, it's kind of a new thing I'm trying out. Mm-hmm. I call it triple threat. Okay. Um, it's just a, three questions um, just to kind of gauge how, how you perceive things. So in your career, basketball career, what has been your biggest regret? Ooh, man, good question. 
Maybe I have to take, take a second. To yeah, that's fine. That. Take all the time you need. Yeah. The biggest regret in my career. Hmm. Okay. All right. Um, my biggest regret regret in my career is not going to shape in uh, in Detroit. Okay. I think that kind of spearheaded a lot of actions that kind of uh, in those early years of my professional career had it turbulent. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, had I went there in shape, uh, they would have gave me a nice little start and confidence to say, okay, I belong here. Uh, and I think that, you know, because I didn't come in in shape, you know, people revere that as not, okay, you knew we were supposed to be here, be in shape, and the coach was like, okay, you're not respecting the situation. It almost left you with a black eye exactly. as you were perceived. Kind of say. Got and it. it was my first time in my life where I was kind of like on my own, so to speak, not mm-hmm. like being at college with a coach, you know, saying, you know, you got to work out, do this. So it's the first time, like, there's nobody around me. Now I'm doing this on my own. So, you know, I'm running around with my mom trying to help her out. That's, you know, situations going on, you know, not thinking like, Lou, you, I'm, I'm in the league, but you still got to work. You still got to get prepared for this. You yeah. still got to, you know. You almost took it for granted, would you say? Um, I don't think I took it for granted. Okay. I just um, thought I made it. So I was good. And then when I got there, I was going to work out. I was going to oh, do I the see. things I, I needed to do. When in reverse, I should have been preparing. So when I got there, all right, I'm already running right into the flow. Got it. You know, who do you consider your biggest influence in reaching the heights you have in basketball? Mm, biggest influence. Okay. Um, I would say my family, you know, I would, I would really have to say my family. Um, for the fact that I was a young person and they supported me tremendously. Um, all the women in my family, all the guys in my family, they they really uh, went out of their way all right, to make sure that I had things all right, that was going to help support my career. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and, you know, that took away a lot of those thoughts that I had to focus on that. And then I was able to focus more energy into basketball in the game that I love. Got it. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. And finally, do you think there is still a mecca of basketball somewhere? When you when you find it, show me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like you said, man, the game has changed, you know, because of so much electronic stuff we have going on, you know. Um, people are more um, into the flash um, and into what it looks like uh, rather than what it feels like, mm-hmm. you know, back in the days, man, I say this all the time, you know, you know, Michael Jordan and all those guys. And even before Michael Jordan, the game was played in a certain way because it wasn't about money and flash. Those guys played with passion, you know, when they were on the floor because they, they, they had a passion for what they wanted to do, you know, so they wanted to compete against the best guy. You know, I want to see if your best is better than mine. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So that was the motivation. Not like, oh man, this guy's in that twelve million dollar spot. I need to get there. Yeah, you know what I mean. That kind of thing. Like, you know, when the mind is just thinking about doing what you love to do and passion, the money comes after. Right. You know. So. Well, Lou, it was a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you, sir. 
Thank we're going to have to probably it. do something like this again. Absolutely. Maybe Anyone bring a few of your teammates to do yeah, a little UMass nice. joint. You know, get Marcus Camby on here. We'll, we'll, we'll get it in. Man. All right, we'll man. Get it in. All right. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dribble and Dimes. If you like what you heard, please leave a review or comment wherever you're listening to us now. Check us out on social media as well. We're live on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. On all platforms, you can find us at D-R-I-B-B-L-E-N-D-I-M-E-S.